All right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to continue this week with the history of creation. We started last week and we covered the first four days of creation. And today we will continue with the uh, day 5 and day 6, and then we'll get to day 7 next week. So the history of creation, uh, part 2. Genesis chapter 1, 20 through 31. As I said, last week we covered uh, the first four days. Uh, If you didn't get to, uh, if you weren't here, uh, you can catch this on the podcast. Remember, all of these are recorded and and posted on the podcast. So you can, uh, if you you happen to miss a Sunday, you can can get get caught up. So today we're going to begin. I won't take time. I've got a lot to cover. So we're not going to take time to review the first four days. Uh, we're going to begin right out of the gate with, with day 5. So if you got your Bibles, let's start with verse 20. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Now, a couple things I want to point out about that. The first one is the word living. Now, this is the Hebrew word nephesh, and this is a word that... It's only used of creatures that are basically cognizant of their surroundings. For example, that word was not used for plants. Of course, plants live and plants die, but the Hebrew word nephesh is not used for plants because they're just they're non-cognizant creatures. They don't they don't have um, they're not aware of their surroundings. They don't react to their surroundings the way that animals do. And so the word nephesh is used here. Now, this is the first time in, in the creation that we have uh, a creature that literally moves on its own. Okay, again, like I said, you've got sea creatures that, that are aware of their environment. They react to their environment. They do that mostly on instinct, but yet they are moving and aware and respond to their uh, environment. The second thing I want to point out is it says, let the waters swarm with swarms. Now, this is a this is a very Hebrew way of talking. Um, in fact, if you go back to the the day prior or, or day three, I think it, it literally says, "Let the let the vegetation vegetate," or it's 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 a very Hebrew way of talking. So when he says, "Let the waters swarm with swarms," now I want to point this out, just as I did with the vegetation. God doesn't start with eggs. Okay, you know, the old argument, is there, which came first, the chicken or the egg? It was the chicken. God says, let it be, and those creatures come into um, existence. There's no evolution here. There's, God doesn't even use the reproductive process. He doesn't begin with seeds and grow a tree. He says the tree is there. Everybody, we talked about that last week. So, uh, as we said, if you would have, uh, he didn't create Adam as a baby. And let him grow up. He created him as a man. He created trees as trees. He created uh, the animals as animals. They are they're already uh, fully grown, uh, already you know living their lives. They just they don't have to grow up, and that's how he he did that. So when he creates the fish, he creates the the whales, he creates the eels, he creates the uh, sea going dinosaurs. At this point, he literally creates them in an instant. He says, "Let it be." And it is. They come into being instantaneously at the word of the Lord. Now look at verse 21. So God created the great sea creatures. Now this Hebrew word here is tannin. And every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was 
Good. Now I want you to notice something here. He literally goes out of his way, Moses does, to say God created this great sea creatures. Notice you could take that out and the verse would mean the same thing. He could have just said God created every living creature that moves with the waters which... Everybody with me? But he literally goes out of his way to point out these great sea creatures. Now, why would he do that? Well, a couple things. These great sea creatures, by the way, are more than likely uh, reptilian dinosaurs, some type of, of dinosaur. Now, I want you to keep in mind, and we're going to talk about dinosaurs a little more as we move through our study. But keep in mind, the word dinosaur was coined in 1841. So you're not going to open the Bible and see the word dinosaur. That, that word was coined in 1841. It's been around less than 200 years. So you're not going to see that word in ancient literature. You will see other words. For example, one of the words that was used back then was the word dragon. That was what they used to refer to these huge reptilian-like creatures. They called them, they called them dragons. Now we have a different word to, you know, dragon for us has more, has a different connotation, a different meaning, but for them it, it didn't. So we have to be very careful of our, of our words. Job, in Job 41, God is responding to Job. And he says this about one of these creatures that he calls Leviathan. And I've always, I always go back to this and read it because I love the wording in this. He says this, Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? And I love this next part. Will you play with him as a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? I just love the way God says that. You think you're going to put a leash around him and let your girls play with him? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again, God says. His back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They're joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. So these are these huge sea creatures, these reptilian sea creatures, these leviathons that God calls out here. But my question is, why would he do it? Why would he go out of his way to, to say, I made them? Well, the reason is because if you go back to ancient mythology and you go back to pagan religions, these creatures are revered as gods. Because you couldn't tame them. Listen, you can take a harpoon and kill a whale, but you couldn't, you couldn't even pierce the skin of one of these creatures. They, they could not. They inspired fear in people, and, and, and ancient mythology and ancient pagan religions would revere them as gods. You remember we talked last week about um, the Canaanites. And the Canaanites, we all know, had a god named Baal. And there was a, they had a, a myth that every fall... Baal would be captured by the god Mot. Remember that? And that's why the crops died. And then every spring, he would be rescued by the god Anat, I believe it was, and that's why the crops would grow again. So every year they had this story, this cycle that they would go through. Well, remember the god Mot that would capture Baal? Well, he was known as the lord of the sea, and he was depicted as a great sea creature. Okay, so it was part of this whole mythology of the Canaanites. The Philistines had a god named Dagon. If you go back and read the story of Samson, you'll, you'll be very familiar with the god Dagon. Well, god, Dagon was half man and half sea creature. So, so these sea creatures were, were woven into these pagan 
religions. It was woven into these pagan mythologies, very prevalent across these cultures. So it's almost like God is saying, look, I made them. Remember how he did with the sun? He said, let there be... We, we, we talked about last week the fact there was light before there was sun. It's almost like God goes out of his way to say, I'm the light. You, you don't need the sun. You don't, why would you worship the sun? I, not only can I give you light without the sun, I made the sun. And, and it's here, it's like he's going out of his way to say, look, I made those sea creatures. Not only did I make all the little fish and all the eels and all the, all the bigger creatures and all that, I made those great sea creatures. They're not gods. They're not to be worshipped. They're just a part of creation. In fact, look at verse 21 again. After he says he made the great sea creatures, he ends that verse by saying, and God saw that it was what? Good. It wasn't. They're not evil. Uh, they're not bad. They're not. They're not anything like that. They're just a creation of mine, like like anything else. Verse twenty-two and twenty-three, and God blessed them, saying, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth." And there was evening, and there was morning, and it was the fifth day. In the nineteen forties, there was a, a mathematician by the name of John von Neumann. And he came up with this theory, came up with this idea that one day men would be able to create machines that have three traits or three characteristics. They're self-sustaining, self-repairing, and self-duplicating. Now these machines are known as von Neumann machines. That He had this idea that we'll one day be able to create a machine that can sustain itself, actually create its own energy, and, and, and basically power itself. It'll be, it'll be self-repairing. In other words, when something goes wrong, it'll actually be able to, to heal itself or repair itself. And then it'll be self-duplicating. It'll be able to have little machines that do the same thing that it does. And these, if you go, read, uh, if you go out to Google, they're known as von Neumann machines. Now, that was in the 1940s. So roughly around 75 years have gone by. And today, with all our technology we still cannot build a machine like that. Still can't do it. You can't, for example, you can't come up on, with a computer that can provide its own energy. You know, as, as powerful as a computer is, all you got to do is go over and unplug it, and it's, it's dead. It, it can't power itself. It can't sustain itself. It can't repair itself. For those of us that are involved with computers, you know, they only do what you tell them to do. And if, and if something goes wrong, they got no clue how to fix themselves. And they definitely can't make little uh, baby computers, right? That can, that, so we still can't create von Neumann machines. But God did. God did. Every living creature is a von Neumann machine. It's amazing. Every living creature is self-sustaining. Every living creature can eat and, and, and can, can sustain itself. Kathy and I... Uh, uh, bought a, uh, a rabbit not too long ago. Went to somebody's house and looked at some rabbits and, and they had them in these little cages and one of them had, had these little babies and we looked in there and, and that, that mother had pulled out her own fur and patted her nest. It was the most, it was, it just had this white nest where she had pulled out her fur. See, they're self-sustaining. They, they, they've got everything they need. Nobody has to plan out their day or plant crops for them. Or they're, they're self-sustaining little things, man. Um, they're self-repairing. You know, they get hurt. Uh, I, I, not to, uh, I say not too long ago. Several years ago, I was fishing one day, 
and I was throwing a spinner bait, and I hung something, and I pulled it up, and it was a, a fish, and he had swum through a, a, a six-pack thing, you know, the little plastic things, and, and it had grown all around him, or he had grown all around it. And he just, you know, he was, he was healthy. I mean, I, I wasn't going to eat him, but, um, but he was very healthy. He, he could still, you know, hit a, hit a lure. They're self-healing. They're self-repairing. And obviously, they're self-reproducing. In fact, not only are animals von Neumann machines, but every single cell that makes up every, cell, every living thing is a von Neumann machine. Cell, cells themselves are self-sustaining, self-healing, and self-repairing. It is absolutely amazing when you, when you think about that. I saw an ad yesterday on TV of a guy that was building one of those robotic hands. And, and he was in there working, and he was soldering and building, and, and I thought, God did that on day five. He just said, let it be. I mean, it, it is absolutely uh, incredible. And God, on day five, the reason I bring this up, because on day five, God said, be fruitful and multiply. He put into place these self-reproducing, quote-unquote, machines and it is in every DNA strip, in every living thing, the capability to be fruitful and multiply. And with all our technology, we cannot make that happen today. And God did it on day five. Now, before we move on to day six, I want to bring up something. It's a word that, and I was going to bring this up last week, and I, I just kind of ran out of time. I'm going to put it off today. And this is a word, symbiosis. Now, you know, we talked about uh, early on that there are theories that try to rectify the biblical account with these long periods of time. I gave you three theories. You remember that? Uh, uh, what were they? Uh, theistic evolution, uh, the gap theory, and the day-age theory. Y'all remember that? And we, sh we showed you all the problems that they had. But here's another one, and this is term symbiosis. Symbiosis is a biological term that basically describes these mutual beneficial relationships between two types of creatures or two types of, of living things. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, on the island of Meridas, there's a tree called the Calvaria tree, and it was pollinated by the dodo bird. Okay? Now, the dodo bird went extinct in 1681. When the Dutch came to uh, the Isle of Meridas, they hunted the dodo birds because they were just stupid and they wouldn't run from them, so they shot them and killed every one of them. And... But ever since that day when they went extinct in 1681, the Calvaria tree has not been pollinated. There are no more. In fact, the youngest one out there is over 300 years old. They live a long time, but once, once the last one dies, there will be no more Calvaria trees because there's no more dodo birds. They actually relied on one another. The dodo bird would eat the fruit of the cal calvaria tree and then he would, uh, he would of course spread the seed in his excrement and it would, that's how the thing, that's how the whole process worked. But now there's no more dodo bird and no more calvaria tree. Another example is the yucca plant and the yucca moth. The yucca moth lays its eggs in the, in the yucca plant and the, and the larva feed off of the yucca plant. But then when the moths leave, they spread its seeds, they pollinate it. Everybody with me? That, that whole process that happens with the bees and that kind of thing. Okay? And that's a, that's, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Without one, the other one could not, could not live. Now, I want you to think about this. You see, during creation, God creates the plants, right? 
And, and they want to tell us, well, he took millions of years to do that. Well, how does the yucca plant live for millions of years? Because the insects aren't created till day five. So you can't, you know, they might have survived for 48 hours or even 72 hours, but for millions of years, I don't think so. See, God created these symbiotic relationships between these creatures, and it requires the, the next one to come along very soon, or that plant could not, could not live. Okay? Now, I bring all this up, the, the, the von Neumann machines and the symbiosis and all this, and, and whenever I start seeing some of these things, I always say the same thing. You, just can't, you can't help but stop and think about how people just refuse to see God in creation. I was thinking about this this week. You know, Satan is the father of lies. And he has put out two lies in our culture, in our world, that our world has just bought into hook, line, and sinker. And these are the two lies. Number one, life is random and truth is relative. Life is random and truth is relative. You think about it, these two great ideologies rule our world today. They absolutely rule our world. No creator and no moral law. There's no creator, right? In fact, that's where we get the no, you know, if, if there's no creator and we're all just come out of this primordial soup and we're just a bunch of uh, synapses firing them, what does it matter? You know, and, and you eventually get to the point where there really is truth is just relative. Just speak your truth, not the truth. That's what they're telling us today. And as I watch this happen, not only does this dispossess men and women of accountability, but in the end it dispossesses them of any hope. And, and yet they still refuse to hear God and, and respond to God in their conscience, and they just sink deeper into hopelessness. And it is, it is such a sad thing to sit there and watch. Donald Barnhouse said this, God gives man brains to smelt iron and make a hammer and nails. God grows a tree and gives man the strength to cut it down and the brains to fashion a hammer handle from the wood. Then God puts out his hands and men drive nails through it in the supreme demonstration that men are without excuse. Men are without excuse. We take everything that God gave us and then we turn it around and use it in rebellion against him. Now let's turn to day six. and We're going to divide this day up into two parts. First part one, verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Now, livestock is a, a Hebrew word that speaks of animals which can be domesticated. Okay, that's, that's basically, some of your uh, translations may say cattle, uh, but it's basically a, a, a fairly comprehensive word that speaks of any animal that can be domesticated. So here you might be talking about cows, oxen, sheep, goats, horses, camels. I don't think they were too worried about dogs and cats back then. They, they, were, they were thinking about animals that can be used for food, animals that can be used for transportation, or animals like that. The second category is creeping things. Now when we think of creeping things, we think of little insects, we think of reptiles, anything that creeps, or you know, uh, lizards, things like that. But Hebrew scholars tell us that word is basically covers like even little animals with short legs. So things like mice, uh, things like rabbits, moles, squirrels, 
all of that type of thing would be covered under this word um, as well. And then finally, you got the third category, which is beast of the earth. Now, this would be basically all the other animals not in those first two groups. So here's where you get the deer, the hogs, the dogs, the cats, the lions, the giraffes, rhinos, dinosaurs, all the other, other animals would fall into this um, group under beast of the earth. Verse 25 And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Remember we said that last week. God, when he sees something that's conducive to life, that enhances life, he always says, man, that's that's some good stuff right there. And he repeats that here. Now I want you to see something. God makes all the animals and He says it's good. Now, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us there's no deformities. There's no mutations. There's no inferiority. See, this blows natural selection out of the water. How can God... See, I don't care what evolutionists say. What bothers me is there are actually preachers that say this, that God would use evolution. But that that just doesn't line up with the Bible. God looks at His creation and says it's good. There's no death, there's no, there's no mutations, there's no deformities, there's no natural selection because there's no inferiority. There's no, there's no one animal that's fighting for a place with the other. They're, they're all, they're a perfect fit for this world that God has, has created. They've all got their, their place. So it's all good at this point. It's all absolutely perfect. As I said, there's no death. That doesn't come until man sins in, in chapter 3, which we'll get to in a, in a few weeks. So at this point, the house is ready. At this point, the house is, is ready to be occupied. The earth is ready for mankind. And that brings us to part 2 of day 6. Now, as we reach this point with the creation of man, I want to explain a couple things. There, you'll see as we get to chapter 2... What chapter 1 does, it goes through the, all six days of creation. When you open chapter 2, it, it, it'll talk about day 7 in the first three verses. And then it'll, the rest of chapter 2 is all about the creation of man. In other words, right here we get a comprehensive view. We get a 10,000 foot view. Everybody with me? And in chapter 2, he'll come back and give us the details of man. Now, what this should tell us is that from the very beginning... Mankind has been the object here. Okay? As I said, everything up to this point is to get ready for man. This is all about building a house suitable for man. See, evolution wants to tell you that man is just another animal. That, you know, you got the insects, and then you got, you got other animals like squirrels, then you may have another, like dogs and cats and, and monkeys, and then man is just happens to be another animal just smarter than the rest of them. But that's not what we see in the, in the Bible at all. See, this is all about man. This has all been preparing for man, getting ready for, for him and for her. We are the pinnacle, the epitome of God's creation. Everything else that's been created has been created for us. It's been created to ready the, the, uh, the earth for us. In fact, I want you to think about this. If you don't believe what I'm saying, everything else will one day perish. Everything else will one day perish. One day the stars will fall from the sky. The, the, the sun, the, this, this wonderful sun that God created will, will go out. It will be extinguished. 
The moon will cease to exist. The whole universe, the Bible tells us, will roll up like a scroll and melt with fervent heat. Everything that God has created will be uncreated. It will go out of existence. But not us. Not man. See, in the end, it's only man that matters to God ultimately. Let me say that at the end. In the end, it's only man that matters to God ultimately. We are this, we are this main character in this great drama that's being played out on the earth. You know, I was thinking this week, I was out of town and you know, I had to travel and go to some meetings, and I'd have had to travel. It's just all this stuff, you know, and, and it's just so easy to get caught up in the mundane things of life. And you just forget, man, you are part of this huge drama that's being played out on this earth. God the Father is seeking a bride for His Son, and you are a part of that. I mean, we are a part of something incredibly grandiose and, and great. Now listen, I don't want you to get me wrong here. The entire creation, it's in, I'm not saying it's not important, right? In fact, the, the whole creation up to this point, day one through the first half of day six, is, is, is putting the glory of God on display. It's displaying His attributes. That's what Psalm 19 says. The heavens declare the glory of God. When we look at the sun and the moon and the stars and the, and the Milky Way, when we look at a, at a new baby, when we look at, at flowers making their way out of the ground in the spring, that's all putting God's attributes on display. I mean, just think about it. We, we see His gentleness. We see His, his tenderness in, in the petal of a flower. We see His strength and His power in the lightning and the thunder. And I could go on down the line. We see His wisdom. We see His intelligence and symbiosis and, and the way things I was talking about later, these von Neumann machines that every human being is. I mean, what a, what a creator this is. Can you imagine His intelligence? Can you, I mean, He's so far above us, it's not, even, it's not even close. All of that displays His attributes. But let me ask you a question. What displays His mercy? and His grace, and His forgiveness. You see, He can't display any of that without us, without human beings, without men and women. You see, somewhere before the foundation of the world, there was a plan put in place. We don't understand this, but somewhere before the foundation of the world, there was a plan put in place. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 1. He says this, Even as He chose us in Him... Read that with me. Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, He chose us. He goes on down the line that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Why would He do that? According to the purpose of His will. And man, I love this next one. To the praise of His glorious grace. You want to know what life is all about? To the praise of His glorious grace. You want to know why human beings are on this earth? To the praise of His glorious grace. You want to know why you're in this building this morning? To the praise of His glorious grace. See, He couldn't do that with stars. He couldn't do that with the sun. He couldn't do that with any kind of animal. He needed human beings. 
to display that, to display His grace. And that's exactly what He did. Paul writes, to let us, uh, writes a letter to Titus in chapter 1. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the world began. He promised eternal life to the elect before the world began began. It, is it mind-blowing? Sure it is. Sure it is. I, can we put our arms around it? No. It, 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 we can't. But what I'm telling you is there's a plan in place before He ever creates the world. And it is a remarkable plan. Not only does it demonstrate all of these things, His attributes, His mercy, His grace, His, his forgiveness, but it also allows Him to demonstrate His love for His Son by bringing a redeemed humanity to heaven as a bride for eternity for His Son. It is a remarkable plan. Listen, you want to know what it's all about? A redeemed humanity as a bride for His Son, loving and serving Him forever. That was the plan before He ever created the world. Don't ever let anybody tell you that God somehow created the world and, and Adam screwed it all up and God's been scrambling the rest of the time to try to figure this... No. No, no, no. God knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly. That's why the Bible tells us that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. He knew, if we do this, I'm going to have to come to earth and die for their sins to display my glorious grace. He knew all that. That was the plan from the very beginning. So let's see how He did it. Verse 26. Then God said... Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now listen, up to this point on the first five and a half days, we've heard language like this. Let there be light. Let the waters be gathered. Let the earth sprout vegetation. Let the waters swarm. Let birds fly. Let the earth bring forth. All, we, we've heard this kind of language several times through the first high, five and a half days. But when you get here, the language changes. It, it is a remarkable shift in what God says. You see, if you go back and you look at the Hebrew, those other verbs, let the waters do this, let the earth do this, they're all what's called an impersonal form of the verb. It doesn't mean God wasn't involved, but it's just an impersonal form of the verb. But when you get here, He says, let us. Let us. You see, here God is, is very intimately involved in this act of, of, of creation. Now, with this new language, we are... If you've never read the Bible before, and you just picked up... Uh, you just picked up Genesis and said, I'm going to read it from the very beginning. All of a sudden, you get here to the end of the chapter and you hear something that just kind of shocks you, and it's let us. See, it's here we're introduced to this, this reality that there's some kind of, we don't understand it at this point, but there's some kind of executive divine committee, right? They're talking to one another. Let us do this. Now listen, we know now because we've got uh, we've got what's called progressive revelation. We've got the New Testament. We've got thousands of years to look back. We know that this is talking about the Trinity. We know that there's the Father and the Son and the, and the Holy Spirit. 
We don't know, if, if, like I said, if we were just reading this for the first time, we wouldn't know this, but we know it now. See, the seeds of the Trinity are planted right here in the very first chapter of Genesis. We, we've talked about this in the introduction, that if you find any major doctrine of the Bible, you'll find the seeds of those doctrines right here in Genesis. That's why Genesis is so incredibly important. So here's the first thing that we learn about man that makes him and her different from any other creature. Let us make man in our image. See, the plants are not in the image of God. The animals are not created in the image of God. It's only man that's created in the image of God. Now, you know me, I like to ask questions. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean that we're made in the image of God? Well, let me tell you, whatever it means, it is really, 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 really important. I can't stress that enough. Whatever it means, it's really important. Because again, whatever it means is what separates us from the animals. It's what makes, even take the smartest animals there are, we are so far above them the way God is so far above us. There's something just huge that separates us from animals. And, and of course, we know right here what it is, is God says, you're made in my image. But what does that mean? Well, the, the root of the Hebrew word means to carve or to cut. It, by the way, this same word image is used in the Old Testament to refer to idols. See, what this tells us is just the way the, an idol is a likeness of a god, a false god, we are likenesses of God. Everybody with me? I read an article one time how kings back in the, in the ancient days used to like to make statues of themselves and put them throughout the kingdom. Because they couldn't be everywhere, so they put these statues and remind people, I'm the king. Well, it's almost like God put these little likenesses of himself all over the planet. We are likenesses of him. We are shaped and formed like God. But let me point something out incredibly important. This has nothing to do with the physical. You see, understand, God is a spirit. That's what John told us in John 4, 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. God doesn't have a physical body. Now listen, God speaks. God hears. Right? But He doesn't have ears like we do in a tongue. He's a spirit. So when, he, when the Bible says we are made in His image, it's not saying, oh, you're made physically like God. It's got to be talking about something spiritually like God. There's something different about us that makes us like God, but he's not talking about the physical because God is a spirit. Now listen, you hear statistics all the time, I read some more this week, where about how much DNA we share with animals. You all ever, you've, you've seen that, right? Oh, oh, well you share, I think with monkeys it's about 96%. You, sh- you share about 96% of your DNA with monkeys. Therefore... You must have both come from the same ancestor, right? With cats, I think it's 90%. With mice, it's 85%. Uh, Insects, even chickens are 60 right? Bananas, I think, is 60 We shared 60% of our DNA with bananas. Now, let me tell you something, folks. That That should not surprise you at all. You see, you think about an animal. We share numerous biological features with animals, do we not? Listen, I, if you ever, I grew up in hunting squirrels and you open a squirrel and cut him open, he's got a heart, he's got a lung, he's got a stomach, he's got a liver. He's got all the same things we do. He breathes like we do. He sleeps and eats like, everybody with me? 
It's not surprising at all that the DNA that God creates to, to, to be a lung and to handle breathing, He puts in every animal. That, that's, that should not surprise us absolutely at all. Skin is skin. Ours may be a little bit different, but for the most part, skin is skin. DNA is shared a, across the spectrum. We all live in the same biological environment, so it's no surprise at all that we share the same stuff physically because we all have to exist in this same world. Listen, God, if we know anything about God, He is an efficient and orderly God. And if He says, you know what, I'm going to create some DNA, and this DNA is going to be so awesome, it can work in everything. That's not a deficiency. That's, a, that's, that's amazing that He can create DNA and say, look, I'm going to throw 60% of that in the, the banana. Let them figure that out. That'll throw them off down the road. Right? I mean, he, he's amazing. That, that, shouldn't, that shouldn't scare us or anything. It's, it just makes pure common sense. But let me tell you something. Being made in the image of God has got nothing to do with percentage of DNA. Let me say that again. Being, there's something different from us than from animals that you can't measure with DNA. You can't measure it that way. Listen, man is transcendent. He's different in a way that cannot be reduced to some chemical formula. Right? That's insane. Listen, you can go perform all the scientific experiments you want on a human being, and you'll never discover what makes them human. Okay? You can't find it in a chromosome. You can't find it in a DNA chain. You can't find it by opening their heart. You can't find it by looking in their brain. You won't find it there. See, because it's not physical. It's not physical. God is a spirit, and we are made in the image of God. In fact, let me prove it to you. You can take away my body, and I will live forever. Yes or no? See, destroy everything physical, and I will still live forever. Because what makes me in the image of God is not physical. It's something else. It's a spirit that's put inside of me that you can't measure on an x-ray machine. You can't find it on a CAT scan or an MRI because I'm made in the image of God. It is an amazing thing. You see, if we go on and say, well, what makes man different? Well, what makes us different is several things. Our, our ability to reason, our ability to, to think abstractly, our ability to communicate, obviously, our ability to make moral decisions. These are all all aspects of what makes us different. They are what makes us who we are. They, they, all those things give us the ability to personally relate to those around us. But listen, there is an even bigger difference and the one that I want to focus on this morning. What makes us made in the image of God is the ability to personally relate to God Himself. So you can talk about reasoning and thinking abstractly and communication and all those things are important. And those all those things. But listen, just the ability to know God, to love God, to serve God, to worship God. That's what makes us human. You know, if, if, you, if, if I tried to sum it up, I would try to probably use the word personal or person. You see, we are persons and we engage in personal relationships. Think about this. Animals don't understand words like fellowship, love, intimacy, service, worship. Do they get that? But we do. We understand those kind of words. And not just do we understand them in relation to one another, 
we understand all those things in relation to God Himself. That's what makes us different. See, when God said, let us make man in our image, He introduces us to that point that He is a God of relationship. And He creates that in us. This, 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 this concept of relationships and, and service and love and intimacy, all these things are just put inside of us. Let, let me tell you something. God Himself has never existed as a lone, solitary individual. God has always existed in a relationship. It has never been a point where God the Father has been apart from God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They've always been in relationship with one another. And we are created in His image. We are created for relationship. Relationship with one another and more importantly, relationship with Him. That's what makes us in his, made in His image. That's what makes us human beings. Verses 27 to 28. I've got a couple minutes. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, I mentioned this earlier. I want to bring it up. Right here as you come to the end, you can see here He's talking about all of mankind. Do you kind of see this as a 10,000-foot level? He created him, male and female. He's talking about the man and the woman. He created them to have dominion, to be fruitful and multiply. This is a very 10,000-foot level viewpoint of that day. When you get to chapter 2, God will come back and He'll walk you through the details. He'll just walk you through. Let me tell you how it all happened, and we're going to get to that in, in chapter 2. So again, just keep in mind, this is a comprehensive view of day 6. We'll get to the details in chapter 2. Verses 29 to 30, And God said... Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed is in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Listen, at this point, everything is, everybody is vegetarians. Okay? Keep that in mind. Everybody's vegetarians. Uh, the, the, the seagoing reptiles are vegetarians. T-Rex, Tyrannosaurus Rex at this point, is a vegetarian. They're all, there's no death. They're not killing one another for food. They're all eating plants. There's no death in the world. That doesn't come until, until chapter 3. Verse 31, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was what? Very. Oh, we've got a new word here. You see, up to this point, everything's been good. He sees the light, and He says, man, that's good. He, he sees the, the plant, he says, boy, that's good. He sees the, the animals come forth, and he says, that's good. But when man comes, he says, it's, boy, it's very good. It's beyond good. It's better than good. That's what very good means. It's, it's beyond just regular good. This is really good because, guys, this is what it's all been about from day one. It could never be very good until humans came because humans have been the point, the purpose, the ultimate reality from before the beginning of time. It lacks absolutely nothing. Now next week we will turn over to chapter 2 on the seventh day and we will talk about the Sabbath. And now a lot of the stuff that we study, some days we'll study stuff in Genesis and we'll walk away and say, well, how do I apply that? And there's not always an easy application. 
I hope today, I mean, I get fired up just teaching it. I hope you get fired up hearing about what great God you serve. And you want to walk out of here this week and glorify Him more. If, if that's the only application we have, that's a great application. But next week, we're going to stop and we're going to look at the Sabbath. Why did God create and rest on the Sabbath? Why did God have the seventh day and set it apart as a day of non-creation? Why did He even add a seventh day? Why did He do it and what does it mean for us? Let's pray. Father.